This is Curl Up with a Cat Tale, and I'm Gwen Cooper, the New York Times bestselling author of numerous cat-centric titles, including Homer's Odyssey, A Fearless Feline Tale, or How I Learned About Love and Life with a Blind Wonder Cat, Spray Anything, More True Tales of Homer and the Gang, and The Book of Possum, Head Bonks, Raspy Tongues, and 101 Reasons Why Cats Make Us So, So Happy. We're here to celebrate all things feline and to tell inspirational cat tales. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to an all-new episode of Curl Up with a Cat Tail with Gwen Cooper. I am, of course, Gwen Cooper, your host, and particularly delighted to be here with you today. Uh, Those of you who are just regular podcast listeners will not notice any difference. Those of you who are part of my Patreon community may notice that I am recording this a a couple of days later. Usually I like to to try to get it to my Patreon people over the weekend, Um, but it is now Monday as I am recording this, and so my, my Patreon people are not going to get this as early as they usually do, and there is a reason for that, um, which kind of ties in with a little story that is not about cats. It's not about cats at all. So if you want to fast forward for a few minutes until we're talking about cats again, I completely understand. Um, but if you would like to hear a little snippet of my life when I'm not writing or hanging out on social media or recording podcasts, then please do keep listening. Um, so on Friday, this past Friday, I went to the dermatologist's office for my first ever cosmetic dermatological procedure. Um, those of you who are longtime listeners or, or personal friends may already know this about me, um, but I just have a long and horrible history of, of skin problems. I, I mean, for like the last... 15 plus years. I mean, well, actually, really my whole life, although it's sort of gotten worse in the last 15 years. Um, But really going all the way back to middle school, I am just in this constant state of being, you know, itchy or in pain or disfigured or just having stuff that doesn't do any of those things, but it's it's sort of icky. Um, This really is a near constant thing for me. I have walk-in privileges at my dermatologist office, and this is absolutely true because I spend so much time there that everybody knows me. And and truly, I can just walk in. Um, a few years ago when Lawrence had shingles, and as soon as we realized what it was, I told him to call the dermatologist, and they weren't going to be able to see him for a few days, which of course meant a few days without getting the medication that would make him feel better. And I asked him, did you did you tell them who you are? And he said, well, who am I? And I said, my husband is who you are. Anyway, the, the point being that I actually like took him by the hand, brought him down to the dermatologist's office, stood him in front of the receptionist and said, can you please get somebody to look at him just for two seconds right now so we can get our pills and, and get the hell out of here? And... It's not that I think I'm such an important person, but at the dermatologist's office, I really kind of am. I'm pretty sure everybody who works there owns a second home. That is because of me, (laughs) that they have been able to buy because of all the business I've given them over the years. I don't even know what my insurance company has paid them. I know what I've paid out of pocket. Um, And literally, literally, if you like if you added it all just over the last 15 years if you added it all up it is well into 
the five figures. Like you could take the amount of money that I spent and and I mean, if I had that money now, I could finance not only any number of cosmetics procedures for myself, but probably for a handful of girlfriends as well. So that's the story of me and the dermatologist. But having said all of that, for the past you know year or two, um, after I, I had long COVID, as some of you might know, and and I had hives continuously for about six months, which was truly awful. But since then, and I'm going to knock on wood as I say this, um, my skin has actually been very calm. And I haven't really had to spend much time at the dermatologist's office for medical reasons. So <laughs> I, I sort of didn't know what to do with my free time or my dermatology budget that I have set aside. So my dermatologist suggested a, a minor procedure. It's called a tear trough fill. Um, and some of you may already know what this is, but, but basically it, it's for like if your eyes are, or, you know, the, the skin under your eyes is starting to get a little baggy or a little bit darker than it used to be, or maybe a lot baggy, a lot darker than it used to be. It is a procedure that corrects that. Um, what they do is they inject some filler underneath your eye and it stretches out the skin, which has the effect of stretching out the bags and reducing the appearance of dark circles also. So like if you go look at yourself in the mirror, if this is something, a problem that you feel you have, and just kind of like put your fingers like right, like at the very top of like, like where the top, tippy top of your cheekbone meets like the, the bottom of your occipital orbit bone, um, and just kind of press your finger there, you'll, you'll see how with just a little bit of a stretch, the, the skin actually looks much tighter and less baggy and less dark. And anyway, I was like, you know, so as she pitched this to me, and it's not ridiculously expensive. And I was thinking what a pleasure it would be to go to the dermatologist's office, not for some horrible, life-ruining reason, but but just to look prettier and and to walk out of the dermatologist's office feeling like I look prettier. It was a very seductive thought. And so I said yes in, in this like moment of this like warm rush of endorphins. Um, but of, <laughs> of course, I, I am also Jewish. And like most Jews, whether or not – and we were all raised on on an Old Testament God, you know, who who is just vindictive and mean-spirited. Um, so maybe this is why – part of the reason why we are the way we are. But I, I would say that, that probably all Jews, even the ones who don't believe in God per se, we all live with this deep-down sense that that some sentient power in the universe is is just waiting for us to step a little bit out of line – so it can just smack us in the face, just smack us right down. So as I'm leaving my dermatologist's office and in the week between when we decided to do this procedure and, and when I actually had it done, I became convinced that I was going to go blind as a result, that there would be some mishap with the needles so close to my eyes and that I would end up blind because it's not enough for me to not really have skin problems anymore. Now I have to go and indulge my vanity. You know, I could, I can't just take the win. Um, I, I really had the sense that that there were that <laughs> that I was going to be punished for the audacity of of wanting more than having skin that's not problematic. Like like actually wanting it to try to make it look better. 
it's a sickness. I'm I'm not going to say that it's not. So so this is what I was convinced of. Um, but I still went through with it because I realized that that is an irrational fear, and and I cannot live my life giving in to all of my irrational fears because you know it's it's just not a way to live and. Uh, you know, people have right millions of people get get needles in their face for cosmetic reasons every day, and you know. Anyway, so I, I show up on Friday um, for this procedure, uh, which was done. And and spoiler alert, just to get jump right to this part of the story, I did not go blind. Uh, my vision is completely intact. And so after this long buildup, you're probably wondering, okay, so how does it look? Does it look better? Are you happy? Are you satisfied? with what was done. And um I, I guess here here's the the final irony or or the the God works in mysterious ways part. So I did not go blind. Um but if you're asking how it looks or how I feel about what was done, I'm not really in a position to tell you because my allergies <laughs> since I left the dermatologist office on Friday have been so bad that my my entire head has just felt like it's been swollen shut. And so it's impossible to tell what my eyes might look like because they're just so swollen and bloodshot from the allergies that I really have no sense of whether they look better from the procedure that I had done. Um, the reason why this affects you got after this whole long buildup, the, the reason why this affects you, the listener to this podcast, or at least to those of you listening who are part of my Patreon community, is because this is the reason why I have not recorded earlier, why I didn't record over the weekend. You know, I just was hoping to not sound like this when I got onto the podcast. That's me holding my nose, by the way. Um I have taken a lot of nasal, I've ingested a lot of nasal spray and, and it does seem to finally be edging off. We had, we've had a lot of rain today. Um, so that seems to be making things, you know, maybe it's washing away whatever it is that, that has been killing my allergies. Um, and so I, I guess I look forward to, to being able to tell all of you whether or not my eyes actually do look better. Um, I don't think they look worse, but again, it's really hard to tell because they're just so swollen from allergies. Anyway, so so that is the story of that, and that is why the podcast is a couple of days late. It's a very long The Dog Ate My Homework story, but there you go. And speaking of dogs, which of course reminds me of cats, which reminds me of what this show is actually supposed to be about, and that of course is cats. Um, and I have a request from a reader and a new patron named Dolores. Hello, Dolores. Thank you so much for joining my Patreon community. Um, and also for supplying a reader question this week, which is not a particularly earth shattering reader question. Uh, but Dolores remembered my having talked about the fact that I was going on a trip for just a few days a couple of weeks ago and um, wanted to, and I had been talking about how for the first time, we actually had a friend's daughter who came to stay at our house and stayed with the cats rather than having a pet sitter come in a couple of times a day. And she's one of those jobs where she telecommutes, you know, all but one or two days a week. So she was actually able to be here and in the house and hanging out with the cats most of the time. And so Dolores wanted to know how that went and and how the cats did with somebody living in the house versus a pet sitter. Um, and the answer is, I mean, it's it's not an earth shattering answer or anything, but the answer is uh, pretty well. It went about the way I would have expected it 
to go. Clayton loved having somebody here. Um, I should say that the friend's daughter who came and stayed with us has her own cat, um, grew up with cats, so she's an experienced cat person. And of course, I mean, Clayton is is just the easiest mush of a cat to, to get along with. Um, all he wants is attention. And if you were prepared to give him attention, then as far as he is concerned, you are the single greatest human being on the face of the earth, and he will do anything you want him to do just so long as you're paying attention to him. And I always say this about him, but it never stops being true. He is a cat who enjoys going to the vet, who does not mind getting shots or needles stuck in him as long as while you are sticking needles into his skin or the thermometer into his tushy, you are saying, good Clayton, what a good boy. Uh, he He's fine. He just wants the attention, doesn't care what comes along with it. Fanny is a tougher customer. Um, Fanny is, is, and I always say this, Fanny is shy and she really is shy. She's not like Scarlet. Scarlet wasn't shy. Scarlet did not like people. Um, she eventually became very affectionate with me and towards the end also with Lawrence, but I would not have described her as an affectionate cat per se. Fanny really is. Fanny is a very sweet, very affectionate cat, but she is just very nervous around people she does not know well. And so Samantha says that uh, she saw very little uh, Fanny while she was staying here, which made me kind of sad. Only because, again, you know, Fanny's not a loner. Scarlet was a loner. Um, Scarlet liked having me there. She preferred my being there to my not being there. But at the end of the day, Scarlet was okay alone. Um, Fanny really does like attention almost as much as Clayton does. She just has to know that she's getting it from a person she feels safe around. And she does not feel safe around people she doesn't know well. And I kind of hoped that with somebody staying here, and especially somebody who was feeding them and who was so good with Clayton that Fanny might recognize, you know, or it's like like at some point in the middle of the night, maybe when she was sleeping, I mean, when, when you know, our friend's daughter was sleeping, that, that Fanny might feel safe enough to sort of creep out and, and seek out a little affection. Um, but apparently not. Apparently Fanny remained hidden a lot of the time. Um, you know, again, it's a two-story house, so it's easy enough for Fanny to and, – and there's food for the cats on both floors. So it's easy enough for Fanny ultimately to be near food and away from the strange person if that's really what she wants to do. And it would appear that, yeah, that was what she wanted to do. So that bummed me out a little, although possibly if this becomes a regular thing – uh, Fanny will will loosen up a little bit with our friend's daughter. It, it is again worth pointing out that it with our pr- uh, previous pet sitter Mark Blanchard, who who was just the greatest greatest pet sitter, um, and it just makes me very very sad that that due to health concerns he was forced to retire into an early retirement. Um, but even with Mark, it it took I think close to five years before before Fanny was willing to come out when he was in the house and let him pet her. So Fanny is, like I said, she she's very wary of people she does not know well. And I guess we will see how events unfold. But it did make me feel good knowing somebody. I mean, first of all, I just feel better knowing someone is in the house. Uh, you know, I, I'm always going to be uh, somebody who grew up in Miami in the 80s. And so home invasion. And of course, I was the victim of a home invasion. Um, 
So that is always something that I'm thinking about. It's something that's always in my mind. And I feel, despite my own experience and and the story of Homer's heroism, um, that a home is less likely to be broken into if people know, you know, if, if the burglar knows that somebody is in the home. And so it just makes me feel better to know that somebody's staying in the house because I feel like it makes the house safer. And it makes me so happy for Clayton because really, the, the the no matter how good a trip I'm having, um, I just feel so bad for Clayton having to spend so much time without any attention. It, it all, all kidding aside, it really is tough for him. He he really, really does need like constant attention, and I always suffer on a trip imagining his suffering. There, there's always that little pang that I feel. Um, this was really the first time that I, I actually felt okay. I felt like there was somebody here who was going to give Clayton as much attention as I could. If I were here and I understand that this person is not me um, and it's not exactly the same, but honestly, I think from Clayton's perspective, it was close enough, at least given the pictures that our friend's daughter sent us of her and Clayton cuddling up together while I was gone. So. There you go. Um, Dolores, to answer your question, um, overall, it went very well, and Clayton was very happy. Fanny did not seem to derive any more benefit from a live-in caretaker than somebody who visits twice a day, but we will see how future trips unfold. And I'm going to deftly segue again uh, from talks, uh, you talk of home invasion and, of course, the famous story of Homer saving me from a home invasion, um, I'm going to segue into a discussion of Homer's Odyssey, uh, which if you have been listening for the last few weeks, um, you know that I got a partial reversion on the copyright for Homer's Odyssey, which means that there's going to be a new edition of the book in the United Kingdom and in the Commonwealth, including Australia, um, New Zealand and various Caribbean and African countries, et cetera, et cetera, including South Africa, by the way. Um, so there's going to be a new edition of the book. And I, I think I told you that uh, I've been retyping the book from scratch. And the reason for that is because although I got a rights reversion, the actual pu- the publisher's files that they print the book from are not part of that deal. I can purchase those files from my publisher, uh, but not only would it be kind of expensive to do so, but also because the the self publishing f- formatting size of the book is slightly different than. Random House's sizing of the book. Um, the bottom line being that everything that's been formatted for one size book would have to be reformatted anyway. And so that being the case, I figured I would just start from scratch with fresh files um, and that I would type it myself and and save myself not time, obviously, but certainly some money, which could be better spent in in promoting the book, et cetera, et cetera. And so that's what I did. And I have been re- I actually finished retyping the book um, about a week ago. And I wanted to give it some time. And then, you know, so now I'm proofreading what I typed. Um, and surprisingly, there aren't as many, I haven't made as many typos as you would think, given that I'm not a professional typist and that I have been retyping an entire book from scratch. Um, and I got to tell you, I was talking to a friend of mine 
Um, and I always say this, you know, by the time you come to the end of the, especially with traditional publishing, which takes place over a long period of time and go, you go through many, many rounds. I mean, there's what you go through as you're writing and all the changes you make. And then your editor comes in and you make some more changes together. And then a copy editor comes in um, and then a proofreader comes in after everything else has been done and written. And at every stage of this, you are rereading what you have written, you are writing, and then you are rereading what you have written and rereading what you've written. And then you get galley proofs, um, which may or may not contain typos. So you, you read that to see if there are any mistakes in there. Um, you read the, you end up reading your own book many, many times before it's published. And it really, at least for me, I can't speak for all writers, but at least for me, it really does come to a point where I am so sick of the book that I, it is impossible for me to imagine that anybody is going to someday read this book voluntarily for pleasure. Um, I am definitely at that point with Homer's Odyssey. And you know what's really interesting about the book um, or or about this process of retyping it and rereading it? And I will be the first to say I have not actually sat down and reread Homer's Odyssey beginning to end um, probably since 2009, maybe 2010. Um, I wrote an afterword for the paperback edition in 2010, um, and it's possible that I sat down and reread the book before writing that. I don't think I did, though. So it's been a while since I reread the book. Um, and on the one hand, you know, there were just so many things that that I re-remembered about Scarlet and Vashti and Homer, so many things that, that I had forgotten. Um, and I've talked about this before and how, you know, just how thrilled I am that I committed them into a book while my memory, while they were still alive and my memories were still fresh. And I'm talking like really nitpicky little things. Um, and, I, and I've talked about this before, like like the way that Homer, if you put his dry food bowl and his water bowl close to each other, he would always throw the dry food into the water bowl. I don't know why. He would like scoop it out of the food bowl, throw it into the water bowl. It was the most frustrating thing, but something that he did. Um, still, I guess I'll never know why he did it. Um, it's been great spending time with the cats. I'll tell you who it has not been great spending time with though. And that is younger me. Um, I, I, I'm again at the point as I, you know, I'm, I'm sort of nervous now as I have finished retyping this book. It really is once again, impossible for me to imagine, um, that anybody is going to read it voluntarily and enjoy it because I really am not enjoying it. Um, and, you know, I think part of it's just like a book is also a time cap, at least a me you know, I, I mean, I write memoir, I write true stories, with the exception of Love Saves the Day, which we will talk about at a different time, because of course, there's going to be a new edition of Love Saves the Day as well coming out. And that's going to be for everybody, not just people in the UK and the Commonwealth, that's going to be um, for the whole world. But it's, you know, it's a time capsule, not just of the time in your life when you were writing it, uh, but also the, the the time in your life that it described. Actually, I mean to reverse that. It's not just the time capsule of the time in your life that you're writing about. It's also a time capsule of, of who you were at the time that you were writing the book. And and I was was younger than I am now. I was a good years <laughs> younger 
than I am right now. Um, of 15 years. I was 15 years younger. I wrote most of the book in 2008. It is now 2023. So I was 15 years younger than I am now. And uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting spending time with younger me, but also kind of annoying. I, I feel like, you know, but I guess this is always the, the things you worry about once you are past them, you look back and you wonder why you worried so much about such foolish things that, that never came to pass or that you probably should not have been so worried about in the first place. Um, there are definitely times where I want to take younger me and just kind of shake her by the shoulders. Um, so, so go out and buy the book, everybody. I guess this is it's really, I'm not I'm really not doing a very good job of promoting the book. I, I know that most of you listening to this have already read the book, so you don't need me to tell you my opinion of it to get you excited to go out and buy it. You already have it. I'm not trying to sell it to you anyway, um, which I guess is a good thing because here am I doing a terrible sales job. Um, thank God. Thank God I had three such charismatic hats, particularly Homer. I mean, I, I still thank God every day uh, that that I ended up with Homer in my life. And there are so, so many reasons for that. Um, but as I reread Homer's Odyssey, I mean, certainly he is the best part of Homer's Odyssey, which absolutely he was always supposed to be. So I guess the the one thing I, I can say is I read this you know book and I read about my younger self and I just think like, oh my God, what an idiot this person was. I did manage to do one non-idiotic thing and that was adopt this cat. And I did manage to do a second non-idiotic thing which was to actually recognize that I could learn from this cat, that that I was kind of an idiot and, and that I found the right teacher. Um, the right teacher entered my life, I guess, at the right time. And the, the, the third reason, you know, thank God for this cat is because he really is not just the best part of the book. Obvi- obviously, it was a book about him. Um, but I feel like he was really the best part of me. You know, I I mean, as I relive my youth, basically, I mean, because I wrote this 15 years ago, I adopted Homer like 12, you know, or 11 years before that. I mean, I adopted Homer in 97. So it, it is really now officially a long time ago I mean, it's it's 28 years since – no, not 28 years. It is – what is it? 26 years since I adopted Homer. And I really feel, you know, that the, that the best part of my younger self, um, my – the second half of my 20s and the – you know, and, and the entirety of my 30s, I guess – um, that the best part of me during that time really was Homer. I, I really am struck by that. Um, and, and I don't even think it's, it's self-deprecation. I, you know, you, you have, you wonder sometimes, like, like if, if not for this, what would life be? It really is just impossible for me, not only to imagine what my life would look like if it had never been, for Homer, but but who I would be. But I'm pretty sure, I feel pretty confident in saying that the person I would be, if not for Homer, um, would probably not be 
someone I would enjoy spending time with. Um, I don't know how anybody else would feel about that, but I suspect that 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 might actually be a universal feeling. Um, so it, it is in some ways been very challenging to to revisit this book as intensively as I have been revisiting it. Um, definitely some discomfort in spending more time with my younger self. You know, it's it's like it when you go back and you reread paper, like English papers that you wrote when you were in high school, and it's just this cringy feeling of like, oh, I was just so so much younger <laughs> and and not as smart as I am now, and and that's definitely how I feel in rereading this book. Although, again, it really has been such a mitzvah to um to have this record of that that recounts so much of the day-to-day life with my first three cats and you know homer has definitely felt like a much more immediate presence in my life since i went back and reread the book um so that's good so there is that so it has not all been an an awkward and uncomfortable experience although of course i've not been reading much over the last few days because once again, my eyes have been swollen shut with allergies. Um, so I'm looking forward now that the allergies seem to be passing to being able to read again and also to seeing uh, what exactly it is I, I bought myself when I, I signed on for this um, unnecessary cosmetic procedure the first time ever I was in a dermatologist office and it was not for something medical. So I will keep you posted and and let you know. I I know you're dying of curiosity. You may not be able to wait a whole week for another podcast. Um, You're just going to have to. Although I feel like, spoiler alert, probably the answer is going to be it doesn't really look all that much different than it did before I got the thing done. I guess the real test will be as I go out and see people, um, if they say like, wow, you look so much more awake or you look 10 years younger or if they just don't notice anything at all. So, again, I will keep you guys uh, 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 posted as events unfold. And on that note, I I feel uh, my my nasal spray starting to wear off. So I'm going to go before I end up sounding like this. Um, But thank you so much for listening and for spending time with me. And please do join me again next week. And that concludes this episode of Curl Up with a Cat Tail with Gwen Cooper. Don't forget to invite your feline loving friends to listen to new episodes along with you. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, find out how to get your name and your cat's name included in my next book, or leave comments or questions for me to answer in future podcasts, head on over to GwenCooper.com now. Thanks so much for joining me, and don't forget to hug your cat today.